Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Bream here, Eric Scopel joining me on the show like he always does a couple times a week now, Eric. This is, uh, we're, we're into football season. We're cranking out the podcast multiple times per week. Yeah, and we've got good stuff every time, and I think that's going to be the case again today. A lot to get to so far this week. It's week two, I think, of fall camp, but it, it's starting to kind of become that point of fall where you start to kind of see the competition pick up. So it's been an exciting week, I think. Yeah, we've we've got a lot on, in store for this podcast. Football-only podcast on this one. I know if, if you go by uh, each Chronicle order of our podcast. The last one we did was an emergency and following Dante podcast. We will do a basketball one probably again soon, but this is all football. Um, lot, lot to get to. If you're not a, a VIP member of duckterritory.com, I highly encourage you to sign up. And, and my second question would be then, why are you not? Especially right now, but you can, you can join for as low as $1 for your first 30 days on the site of VIP membership. Uh, Tons and tons of scoop, tons and tons of recruiting news, football team coverage. Uh, we're the only, I guess, site between rivals and, and, and us here at 24-7 Sports and uh, all the other sites that cover Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting. You know, Eric and I have been at every practice, uh, and we're the only ones that can say that, and I think you'd feel pretty confident in the coverage that we give you uh, on DuckTerritory.com. Um for today's show, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Micah Pittman. It seems like we're talking about this freshman receiver all the time. We're going to talk about some offense and defense um, conversations we had with the coordinators. Um, we've got some news at cornerback. We've also got to preview a scrimmage. We've got some injuries that we need to discuss. So there's a lot to get to on this show. Um, Eric, let's start with Micah Pittman. And it, it really feels like the freshman four-star wide receiver out of Calabasas High School in Southern California, it really feels like it's too good to be true. But it, it, but everyone continues to say that everything's legit. I mean, he continues to dominate practices from everything that we've heard. It's, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit of validation for my, uh, I think, June prediction he would lead the team in receptions because every single day it's somebody talking about another play he made. I think he made – some sort of diving one-handed touchdown or, or, or some sort of towards the ball towards the ball, according to uh, a, new, a handful of players mentioned. I think Rob Mosley described it best on, on uh, in his practice report uh, was something that we didn't get to see, but we just heard about it. And it just seems like every day we're hearing something similar about, oh, you got, oh, did you hear about the catch he made? Oh, did you see the catch he made? Uh, you won't believe the things he's doing, and and it starts to get to the point here where you don't hear this over and over again. We've seen some of it with our own two eyes. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the hype is legitimate and the hype is real. And, and it's hard to get to the point here where you're going like, okay, like I'm feeling actually pretty good about my he's going to lead the team in receptions prediction. Is he going to be a guy that leads the team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns and does so by a significant margin? Is, is this going to be, I don't want to say a Dylan Mitchell season because he set some school records. I think that's incredibly unfair for a true freshman. But is he going to be the guy that is clearly the top guy? And the interesting thing about this, Matt, is that he hasn't even been getting consistent first-team run when yeah. we're watching, which is the yeah. weird part about it all. Yeah, that's the that's the crazy part is that we get to watch about 30 minutes of practice every day, and during that 30 minutes, you know, the the offense every day for the defense is kind of hit or miss. Right. Um. But every day in practice, the offense will roll out a a first team, second team, 
third team. And, you know, Oregon coaches could, can tell us all they want after practice that they don't have depth charts and, you know, they don't have, you know, they, they, they have what's called an organizational chart. But in practice, they call them out. Ones, twos, threes. And the, the, the offense rolls out with three different groups and they go 11 on air and Pittman has for the most part spent time with the second team receivers, uh, during the, the periods that were there. He, he's, ha- he's had his runs with the ones. He certainly has gotten reps during practice and drills with the ones. And another way of finding out where guys kind of land in the pecking order is, is to watch each individual drill when they do their ND stuff. And because they typically line up in order of depth chart, you know, at running back, CJ Verdell is always the first guy to go through a drill. Travis Dye is always number two. And at receiver, you know, you see Pittman kind of fluctuate. You know, he's usually one of the you know first two or three guys. And sometimes he's, you know, the fourth, fifth or sixth guy to, to go through the drill. But um, it, it, it's I have a hard time, though. Everything we've heard, everything we've seen, I have a hard time believing he's not on the field a heck of a lot week one. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see where he is on the field, too, because I think part of the issue with getting him in that first team is he's been primarily working at the slot. And Jalen Red returns, and he, I think, is the lead, yeah, he's the team's leading returning receiver, and that's where he also plays. And so there's been a situation where Red has been the first-team slot guy, Pittman's been the second-team guy, and that's just kind of the way it's rotated. Now, they've mentioned that Pittman is working on some outside stuff, that's cross-training, working on both positions. I'm a little surprised we haven't seen him get some run either outside or in the slot, and it'll be interesting to see where they utilize him when they when the games start being played because it's clear he's a viable option. You know, you, we and what we're going to post a story later on this week, Matt, uh, we'll do that. But there, we asked numerous players, kind of like who are guys that are standing out in camp, and Pittman's name was mentioned by everyone. So it's not like it's not like it's just one or two people saying it. And you just kind of wonder how are they going to utilize him? Is he going to be in the slot? Is he going to be outside? And is there a benefit to kind of where they have him on the field? Do they want to? Have, is it important to have Jalen Red out there in the slot with Michael Pittman on the outside? Is that enough size really? You know, on the outside, is Pittman too small for that? I, a lot of questions that need to be answered. But I just agree with you absolutely that. Even if he's maybe not a starter week one or a starter in non-conference play, I think he's going to be out there an awful, awful lot. And I think he's going to be a guy that they rely upon an awful, awful lot, especially with Schooler now being out. Yeah, that's – for me, that's where his his position on the depth chart is going to be interesting to watch just because I, they're starting to cross-train him to do more stuff. Right. And – it's become evident that I think, you know, based off of what everyone said and what we've seen and what we've heard, he's probably your top four receiver. And I mean, I, I don't know if, if Juwan Johnson or Johnny Johnson, uh, or Jalon Red have done enough to, to distinguish one of them as, as the top receiver, you know, so maybe Pittman's even in that discussion. And so you have to get him on the field. I, I, it just feels like he's he feels like he maybe is the top guy right now. And again, that's jumped into a lot of conclusions based upon the fact that we we haven't been seeing the scrimmage and we haven't really been seeing a lot of these open competition periods in practice. But everything we hear is it sounds like he's been the most impressive wide receiver. He's been one of the most impressive players at any position uh, so far in fall camp. And yeah, I just 
I, I have a hard time seeing a situation where we open with, you know, a game with Auburn here in about two weeks now, which, by the way, is absolutely crazy to say. <laughs> and, and, and he doesn't play some sort of factor offensively in what Oregon is doing. Yeah. I, I just would be floored if, if we don't come away at least saying, oh, man, Micah Pittman made some plays in that game. And, and if he doesn't, based upon, that might be a really negative thing for what this Oregon offense is because it seems like so much has been made out of what he is. And if he doesn't able to produce uh, you know, on that, in that first game, that could really hurt this offense. Let's let's look at the offense and defense now. We did speak with Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's offensive coordinator. We also spoke with Andy Avalos, the new defensive coordinator, and we're kind of at that weird point in fall camp where you've kind of gone at it for two weeks. There's a ton of install, and um, do you continue to install? Do you continue to try and, and and mess around with roster formations and depth charts and and figure out if maybe you you've got if you've got a ton of safeties, can one of them play corner? Or you know if you've got a, a a ton of running backs, you know where can one of those guys that's not going to play fit somewhere else? So, you know, it, or is it time to start you know doing situational work? And it seems like Oregon's kind of started to shift their makeup of practices now. Yeah, both. Both coordinators were asked yesterday about where they were in install, and both basically said they're essentially done. Uh, they basically, you know, Arroyo and Avalos basically said, yeah, we basically put in all the offense. We basically put in all the defense. Now it's just cleaning up things. Now it's putting them in situational work. Um, I think they wanted, they did quite a bit of situational work. It sounded like yesterday's practice was one of the first times that they did a couple different drills. Um, and, and now it's, yeah, now it's that time of kind of figuring out, okay, everybody should know kind of basically what's going on. Let's make sure they're doing it at a really high level, and then let's figure out the guys that are really capable of doing it at a high level. Let's figure out uh, the guys who know the playbook, the guys that know how to do these things and do them at a high level so we have a better idea of which guys are really going to be able to help us, you know, week one, week two, week three, because it does sound like they put in basically all they're going to put in. And I know both Arroyo and Ablos did mention that there was going to be some smaller stuff, small maybe packages here and there, some uh, maybe I'm sure there's going to be stuff Auburn specific that they'll put in the week of Auburn, or maybe they're starting to work on that too. But right now, but it, it does feel like that the base stuff they're doing on both sides of the ball, I shouldn't say it feels like it, 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 it sounds like based upon what they said, that stuff's been put in, that stuff's been implemented. And now it's about perfecting all that stuff and kind of figuring out the guys who can do it. Yeah. And, and the, the key here is both Avalos and Arroyo both said that, you know, they'll still do some install. They're still putting stuff into the, into the playbook and, um, but it, it's, you know, the, the bulk of the, of the workload has now been complete from that regard. And now it's adding in the little nuances of, of plays and, you know, developing a little bit, you know, secondary or, or, you know, what have you, you know, runoffs of, of certain plays. And, and one thing that we should note, Oregon running back coach Jim Mastro, um, Arroyo has kind of echoed the same comments. I, I can't recall if Cristobal has agreed with them. Um, or not, and we'll certainly find out on, on Saturday if he hasn't. Uh, but Oregon's offensive coaches have said that through the two and a half weeks of fall camp or whatever they're at, I think they've completed 12 practices going on the 13th practice, which will be held August 16th. Um, Oregon's offensive coaches have said that things are a little bit more advanced this year from an offensive standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, just because this is the first year where it's not a new, entirely new offense. Everything 
they did last year is pretty, you know, they're, yeah, they're adding stuff into it. They're making some changes, but you know, the foundations of Oregon's offense is the same as it was the year before. And Oregon's players know the foundations. They know the basics. They know, you know, what they're based off of. And that's allowed Oregon to quickly install the offense and then start adding on to things. And one of the benefactors of that is Justin Herbert or as a senior quarterback for your starter now has more freedom to come to the line and make more audible play calls. That was the first thing I was going to say before you brought that up is that this is a dream scenario for Justin Herbert to finally have some continuity with offensive coordinator, with, with a play caller, with, with, you know, the quarterback coach. This is not a thing he's really had during his time at Oregon. You know, he's had multiple head coaches, multiple offensive coordinators. This is the first time he's really been able to work through the same offense. So theoretically, and I think we should expect this, that the offense should be much, much better than it was last year. Um, now you don't want to drop unreasonable expectations, but you've got a top tier quarterback working in an offense that he's finally probably mastered and that they're able to start adding some stuff. And I, I, earlier you mentioned whether Cristobal had said something about it being as advanced. I don't think he said that, but one thing he did at least reiterate, and I think Arroyo has said something similar in Herbert as well, just that they went through and looked at stuff last year that worked, stuff that didn't work, and they kind of scrapped the stuff that didn't work or found ways to make that more effective and then found the stuff that was working at a high level, the things that were very successful, and found ways to implement that even more effectively. So I, I think it's going to be an offense that looks similar, you know, for those that are listening, thinking like, oh, is it going to be, uh, is it going to look completely different? Is it going to look more like what it was under Chip Kelly? No, I don't think we're going to see that. But I think we're going to see a more streamlined approach. Uh, one would hope there'd be a little bit more, maybe more confidence in being creative offensively because it is now something where Herbert and, and the offensive players as well now have more experience working through. I know uh, there were times last year, and probably justifiably so, that Marcus Arroyo was, was criticized for some play calling and, and kind of a lack of creativity. I, th- I don't think there's going to be an excuse for that this year, just because now you have a quarterback in Herbert who's got more experience in this offense, who's got talent around him. I think we should expect this offense to be really, really good, and I'll be curious to see what more advanced looks like. And I, I, I still go back to, and I don't want to go down that path too far, but I still go back to last year's offense and the lack of creativity narrative would be a lot different had Oregon not dropped 52 balls. Yeah. I mean, like, 52 passes were dropped by Oregon receivers or running backs or tight ends last season. And, because I'm pretty sure an offensive lineman was not thrown to. Uh, But 52 passes derails drives, derails rhythm, derails an offense really turning things over and, and getting going. And that's... You know, or the entire vantage point of Oregon's offense would look totally different if 52 was 26. You know, what, what have you? Uh, and so, you know, my, you know, one of my things I'm, I'm looking for in this offense this year is just how improved have the drops, you know, improved? You know, have, have, there, have the drops at receiver improved? Have the tight ends improved at their drops? Because we we've you know I've seen some some stories that have been done um, by by the media that have talked about how you know it's already seeing improvements and and yada 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 and, and yeah they look good in practice and we go to every practice and watch and there's drops and and for the most part guys are catching balls but we truly won't know where things are at until the game 
And that's where we learn about, you know, how, how advanced is this offense? How improved is this offense? How explosive is this offense? We won't know until August 31st and, and the weeks following at that game. Absolutely. And I think the drops thing is, is you're hopeful that a guy like Michael Pittman, who's been reportedly extremely sure handed, I don't know what the count is right now in practice, but at one point he, like seven practices in and he had one drop off all. Yeah. So you hope a guy who's that reliable will, will, will play ben, carry over. We'll carry over and pay dividends with the rest of the, of the group. And you hope the guys that didn't get a chance last year will prove to be sure handed. And you hope the guys that last year maybe that weren't very sure handed, uh, will, will figure their stuff out. So yeah, I, I know. And, and, I, and you're right that it's easy to say the receivers look improved in practice. I would agree with that. I think there have definitely, there definitely feels like a, a better group than it was a year ago, but you're right. And we said this last week, I know, or maybe it was earlier this week's podcast. I get them mixed up sometimes, but just, just that the bright stage is going to be an impact. And, and, and you, you can expect that these guys are going to perform at a high level because they haven't practiced. But once they get out there for the first time uh, this season, and for a lot of these guys, this is going to be first college action. Their first college game. Right. I mean, even a guy like Brian Addison, who played a little bit last year, who's, you know, figures to be a, a pretty big factor at wide receiver this year. He played like three games last year, caught a pass. You know, he, he's, he really hasn't had his, you know, welcome to college football kind of moments. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And it's going to be a massive test to see how they handle that on a big stage. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let, let's shift gears a little a little bit. Let's go to the defensive side of the football. And there's been some injuries on this group. Um, nothing that doesn't sound too serious. And uh, I think maybe the main one, Eric, would be the fact that Diomede Lenore is kind of a, a little bit banged up and has had to be held out of the last Saturday scrimmage and a couple practices. But for the most part, right, they're, they're, they're pretty much healthy. Defense has been more healthy than offense. I think yeah. that's safe to say. And we'll get to the, some of the offensive injuries in a moment here. But defense has had a few guys miss a handful of practices. Stay with Davis. You mentioned Lenore. I think Gary Baker and Popo Amave both have been in and out of practices a little bit. But for the most part, it's been a pretty healthy group. And, um, you know, you look at the cornerback position and to sort of, I think it was, or Avalos yesterday who said this, but to sort of, Figure out what the you know the injury issues they had because they did have a time where Lenore Davis were both out and uh, right. they actually they've moved Triquez Bridges over to corner um, and this is a six foot three six foot four safety who came in and was kind of 
I think a lot of people didn't know what to expect from him. You know, at, you know, he comes from Alabama, obviously a lot of really good football down there. He, I think, is tied for the state's all-time interception record. Uh, so obviously a guy who's really good with the ball, and you know, that's kind of his skill set. Gave him a shot at, you know, to move over to corner, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's been, it sounds like it's based upon what Avalos has said and what other people have said. It sounds like it's been a pretty good transition. Now I, I wouldn't expect to see him play very much early on this season. It might be a thing where. You know, he goes back and forth between safety and corner. I don't necessarily know we can say it's finalized where he's playing, but certainly that's one of the more interesting notes of this week is that we've got a pretty highly regarded true freshman defensive back who's moved positions. Yeah, and I think – and that's where I was meaning where there were some injuries. and It's it's kind of a weird deal because there's been a lot of guys at that cornerback spot that have missed like one practice right, or, or two practices. And – but none of them – I think all of them are back now. Correct. And none of them had injuries that were like, hey, this could be a three- or a four-week you know, deal if we're not careful type of a situation. Um, or at least it feels that way. And But because there were so many guys that were you know, just minor dings and, and whatnot, Alvalo said it kind of created like they were really low on bodies at one point. For the cornerback spot, and he said that, uh, uh, paraphrasing here, but he 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 said that you mentioned the uh, Triquez Bridges, a six foot three, three former three star safety from uh, Alabama, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Um, who I think had like thirty three or thirty four career interceptions in high school, uh, set the state record. Hey, just go play corner. Just don't let this guy get by you. Like never really had played the position before, and he said you locked him up. And then the coaching staff went after practice and watched that play and watched the rest of his time that day at corner and was and he he, he said I think we found his his new position like he was really good and because I I think I'd asked Avalos like how do you make that decision of figuring out hey this guy could be good at another position how do you come to that conclusion and for at least TriQuest Bridges it was by pure happenstance yeah and, and it will be interesting to see again if that becomes his his full-time position or not or or if there is some movement there I, I think he's a guy with his size who could play a couple different spots maybe this is going to be similar to Tyree Robinson a handful of years ago where, where he started at, at safety moved over and played a little corner ended up back at safety I could see him kind of being a guy who his position remains in flux maybe not even just through this year but through his career because athletically he is talented and and he does have great length. I mean, you, you look at him out on the practice field, and he does stand out for being a really tall, lean. He's got really long legs and covers ground really, really well. So I think a guy with high upside, and it will be it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. You know, it, it, they are different positions. You know, they're both defensive backs, but they are different positions. It'll be interesting to see how quickly he becomes somebody that's capable of helping him. Is it somebody that is able to help him this year at corner? You know, if they need him to pinch, because the depth there isn't terrible right now, and. We've mentioned DJ James and Daywood Davis guys that have stepped up to help out with Diamador and Thomas Graham, and we think Mikhail Wright's going to be a contributor. So can Bridges become one of the top four or five corners on the team, or is he a guy that, that needs a year or maybe even two to kind of get himself figured out? It'll be interesting to see kind of how he, he transitions and, and develops in that position. It'll be really interesting, I, I think, with what do you do with guys like Bridges with Jamal Hill and DJ James? Um those are all three guys that I don't know necessarily. I think I had had said Bridges was going to play as a true freshman 
but it was all going to be like special teams um, going into the year and or before fall camp had started. Those three, though, they've they've all gotten run with the ones at certain points in fall camp. And we're not talking like day one, two, or three. Like you're past the halfway point or you're just coming up to the halfway point and you're getting run with the ones. To me, that suggests you're not only in contention of, of, of you know, fighting for a starting spot, but you're, you're more than likely going to play in some capacity. Yeah, I feel more. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Do all three of those guys play beyond the four games that you're allowed to play and still redshirt? Or do you feel like someone out of that group is going to redshirt? I think, I think out of those three guys you just mentioned, I think Bridges is the most likely to, to redshirt. He just switched positions. Um, I, I have yet to see him with the first or second team. Uh, okay. The, the other two are guys who I expect to play. I, I think Hill could conceivably, I don't think he's going to start the season as a starting nickel. That looks like that's going to be more a hockey woods for all McKinley thing. I think Woods looks like he might kind of have the upper hand right now, which is maybe a little surprising considering where things looked in the spring where it looked like McKinley, but I think Hill's going to play enough there. And I think, I got to think he's going to be great on special teams. And then with uh, DJ James, he, he's been somebody that has kind of been kind of thrust into a spot here where it's basically the two junior upper class corners. And then it's DJ James and Mikhail Wright who seem like, and David Davis probably is, a, is the other guy you should mention there. But those three guys seem to be battling to be backups. And given the fact that they're, are, they are going to play a lot of nickel this year, it sounds like, I just think those guys are going to play enough that they don't redshirt. So I would say, you know, in order of the true freshman defensive backs, I think Wright's going to play for sure. I think Hill and Hill's probably next on my list, followed by James, and then I think Bridges is probably fourth. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if they decide to, to redshirt him, especially if they're going to keep him at corner, just give him another year to develop because, uh, you know, he has all the athletic tools. But you do watch him out there, and, and not not to get down on him at all, but they, they are working through him. Sometimes they have to work through drills with him a little bit more uh, than they do with other guys, you know, sure. certainly, you know, just because it's new to him, I'm sure. All right, Saturday scrimmage. It's going to be on the 17th of August. It's a Saturday. We're recording this on Friday the 16th, and it's an open scrimmage for season ticket holders. So some Duck fans will be able to go out and watch. Um, I'm sure we'll have someone on Duck territory who went and, and posted something. Uh, but this is going to be a it's, – it's not your final chance to make a lasting impression on the staff, but – Time is starting to now be on, you know, there's, there's starting to be fewer reps, fewer practices. You know, you're running out of time. You're you're not all the way there yet, but Saturday's scrimmage is setting up to be another really important one for Oregon's, I guess, organizational chart and figuring out who fits where. You know, the coordinators are looking for organization on the on each unit. They're looking for execution um, and and seeing where they can. And, you know, take the, the lessons they learned from the first scrimmage and apply those to the second and see how much, you know, mishaps get cut out of the scrimmage. Um, but there's still a lot of position battles still, still to be waged here. And I, I think we, we should probably stick with the defense to start things out. And I think from, you have much more experience, Eric, watching the defense than I do, uh, when we go watch practice, but, We've learned a lot about the nickel spot, and I think going in, we were expecting Verone McKinley to just kind of have that position locked down as a redshirt freshman. But is it that way, or has Hill kind of forced his way into the picture? 
Well, it's Hill and it's it's also Hockey Woods, who is maybe one of the bigger surprises of, of camp. Is I, I would say it's it, at this point it feels more like a Hockey Woods Verone McKinley battle with Hill kind of as the third guy. And that's not to say he's not going to win, but Hill did miss. I don't know, was it three or four practices with injury last week? And and I think he did take part in the in the scrimmage, but it, it feels like Woods has really been the guy who's clearly opened some eyes. I think they like his length, his experience. I mean. I think it was Dante Williams who was talking about his group and like who the veterans are, and it's it's like Thomas Graham and Diomde Lenore are the are the top two corners in the team, but they're like not even 21 years old. They can't legally drink, and Woods is the only guy I think who's like over 22 in the entire secondary. I mean, it's a very very young group, and so I think maybe his veteran presence has given him kind of an upper hand there. And again, I don't think that job is won or decided at all. And I think these scrimmages are going to go a big way in determining how it all plays out. I, I think it's. It's going to be fascinating, and it's going to be interesting to see in part because the body types are so different between all three guys. I mean, just look at the, the you know, Verone McKinley is about five foot ten. He's he's put on some muscle, but he's still somewhat slightly built. Hockey Woods is really tall and lean, but not particularly put together. And Jamal Hill is tall and extremely well put together, but he looks like he's built like an outside linebacker um, and, and still is able to move really well. So it, it'll be interesting to see. Not just who wins that job, but like what the fit is at nickel. And I asked Dante Williams about this, I think last week, and he said, you know, Tyran Matthew is probably the, the best nickel in the NFL right now, and he's not your traditional body type. He said you could just kind of, it, it doesn't have to be the guy who fits it physically. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, I think that's one of those position battles that there is not a clear, clear cut winner right now, and it feels like it could go one of a handful of different ways, probably. What's the other main position battle defensively you think needs to be figured out or, you know, gain valuable information, data, film, what have you from this next scrimmage? I, I would imagine, and it's the one we've talked about the most, but still that Nick Pickett, Brady, B, Brady Breeze uh, battle at the other safety spot. Uh, I, I just think that continues to be one where they're very tight together. Um, you know, Breeze has, every time they've lined up in, in their one and two offense, Breeze has been with the first, sorry, defense. Breeze has been with the first team defense. But then you go read some practice reports and, and, and stuff, and it sounds like Pickett's also getting a significant amount of opportunity with the one. So it's not just Breeze is the one, Pickett's the two. I think that continues to be a, a really intense battle. Um, and, and, and I really think those are the two big ones right now. I, I think I feel pretty decent about a lot of the rest of it. I think up front on the defensive line, it might be, you know, where is Carlberg line up? Is, is he going to, are he and Folly going to play together? Is that too big of a group or do they want Cumberlander out there? But even that feels like you got a pretty good idea for it. But I think the picket breeze thing and yeah, and then the nickel spot are probably the two position battles I'm most interested in. And I'll be really curious to see when they come out and practice again when, it, when we're able to watch, which is probably going to be next Tuesday, uh, where everything is kind of where everything lies, you know, kind of what, what the result of the scrimmage has been on that organizational chart. Where is, where is Kayvon Thibodeau? He's working with the stud outside linebacker group. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting that to me, he, he's, he's kind of with that second group right now behind Bryson Young, but it doesn't really feel like it's that tight of a battle. And maybe I'm overestimating or, or misrepresenting what's taken place, but it kind of feels like it's been, Bryson Young is going to be the guy there, and, and Kayvon's going to be kind of the backup who maybe comes in a little bit more prominently in certain passing situations. But that sort of seems like the, the, the hierarchy right now is he's sort of kind of that second stud guy, and that's been the way it's been when they've lined up. 
um, for the first and second team defense for the last week or so. Uh, that's not to say he can't be a, a big time contributor this year. It just feels like he's, you know, I think I expected that to be a little bit more of a thing people were talking about is the Bryce yeah. and Young, Kayvon Thibodeau battle. And to me, that really hasn't really um, surfaced as much as I expected, to be honest. And then another name that's been really impressive on defense is Mace Funa, right? Yeah, and that's been one that's come out together a little bit more recently where it's, you just kind of watch him and you go like, okay, he looks capable of playing kind of either outside linebacker spot. He's been, I think, working primarily at the Sam linebacker, uh, which is like the more traditional outside linebacker um, opposite of the stud linebacker. But uh, he might be somebody that fits into both spots, you know. I mean, I, the question for me is how well does he cover just because he is 6'2", 265, you know, he's a big, big body out there. Um but I think he's certainly capable of being an impact guy, and, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if by, you know, week three or four of the season, or maybe even earlier, he's somebody you're talking about, like, oh, this guy is going to be a really, really good football player. On the offensive side of the football, I think the obvious one that needs to be figured out is who starts along the offensive line. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And that was probably a question I don't know if anyone was really – expecting to, to ask going into fall camp, but here we are. Um, I mean, Cristobal kind of teased it a little bit uh, at Pac-12 Media Day, and then uh, at Oregon Media Day, a couple guys, you know, opened up about it, and now as fall camp has progressed and guys have had film, um, there's more than just two guys in this battle. And originally everyone was expecting it to be uh, senior right tackle Brady Aiello and senior right guard Dallas Warmack. Um, Warmack was the starter all of last season, and then uh, Aiello was was a guy that started some games because of injury, because of suspension, what have you, um, along the offensive line at various points in the season. And everyone was kind of assuming, all right, well, does Aiello start and they just bump Throckmorton from right tackle to right guard, or does Warmack start and they keep Throckmorton at, at right tackle? Um We've got it in the war room. It's a VIP feature, but there are other names getting practice reps with the first team. We've got two of them up on the site right now. Um, Eric will have a story up on one of those guys in great detail of his just status with the team and his camp. But I, I think that's probably the biggest one is figuring out who your best five offensive linemen are and what positions they play. And I don't think, Eric, that – a, it, it's not going to be decided after the second scrimmage, and it shouldn't be decided after the second scrimmage just because it's that close between the three or four guys in the mix. It, it, it feels that way, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense to draw this all the way out, and I think Alex Mirabal said it last week just that they feel like they have eight or nine starting caliber offensive linemen. I thought it was interesting when, when ESPN came to Eugene and they did a, a nice feature on the offensive line. They included – six or seven guys in that feature, I think it was six, but as their starting offensive line, which is yeah. just kind of a tip of the cap of like, hey, like, we don't have five guys. Like, we're, we're still trying to figure this out. It would be disrespectful to say this guy's going to be the starter over somebody else because we really just don't know right now. So I, I think that continues to be a thing where you're, you're probably, obviously you're going to have a, you starters for the opening game, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is something that continues and is an ongoing position battle really throughout the season. And, and you know, uh, this is, again, one of those luxuries you have with Throckmorton, but also the luxury you have with just the talent on this team of having so many 
guys with experience playing at a high level, so many yeah. guys that are that are high talent players. Other positions, we've obviously talked about receiver earlier on the podcast. I think that's you know probably one where you need to figure out who who is where and and what and you know we need, don't need to rehash all of that. But another position group that's going to eventually get figured out, and I say eventually because I we still haven't seen the two best players at this position going into camp on the practice field at the same time, and that's tight end. Um, Jacob Breland has been the number one guy for almost all of camp. He was the starter for uh, 12 out of the 13 games uh, for Oregon last year, um, but the one game he didn't start was a season opener, and that was Cam McCormick, a junior. Um, McCormick has yet to fully practice. Um, he So we're going on day 12 now, and he's yet to take part in a full practice, full go, because he's working through some kind of an injury. Um, and then now Breland himself is dealing with some kind of injury. He, he was at Thursday's, the 11th practice of, of fall camp, which was on August 15th, Thursday, um, and just plain shorts and T-shirt and regular shoes. Wasn't even wearing a helmet. Yeah, and this is where, again, we were expecting there to be quite the position battle between these two, and it hasn't even developed, really. And, it, and what it has left is an opportunity for Hunter Campmoyer and Ryan Bay, a couple of veteran guys who, who played a decent amount in Oregon but probably haven't had a lot of attention th- you know, thrust their way. And then a couple of newcomers in Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert to possibly see the field or, or see more playing time a little more quickly. And it's going to be really fascinating to see if that how that might benefit this team throughout the season, just having maybe a week or so where some of these guys who aren't used to working with the first team get to work with the first team. But it is sort of – I really feel for Cam McCormick because, you know, I thought he was going to have a really good chance to push for a starting job, and yet he's, he hasn't yet to really practice fully. I mean, this yeah. guy's, his injury history is, is – is, is tremendous in a bad way, and, and I feel I really feel for him. I mean, he's somebody who's clearly talented and capable, but it just seems like he can't stay on the field. So you hope he's able to get healthy. You hope Jacob Breland is able to get healthy. There hasn't been any indication either is in jeopardy of not playing in the opener or, or missing extended time. But you know the the fact that neither of them been out in the field together uh, is shocking and, and probably I'm sure the staff is wishing things weren't this way, but it's out of their control because injuries happen and, and they stink and, and they impact things. So that's, I'm sure, I'm sure these scrimmages were, were games where they were hope or you know, opportunities to hopefully see these guys go out there and perform. And the fact that I'm guessing neither of them will pra- you know take part in Saturday's scrimmage. I'm sure that's not, that's certainly suboptimal. Yeah. There's not much. Um, I mean, Breland's your best guy based off of last year's production and overall. McCormick probably, I think, had the best potential to, to really change the way Oregon operates. When Cristobal said in L.A. at, at Pac-12 media day, he just brought another dimension of physicality. And that's not to say that Breland can't be physical, but McCormick is bigger and significantly bigger than Breland is. And you know, he allowed Oregon to do a lot of different things because – they could split Breland out into the slot and play him as like a, a jumbo wide receiver type thing and, and have the physicality of McCormick at the line of scrimmage. And there was just a lot of options. And you, you take both of those guys out of the picture and your number one tight end is a walk-on in, in senior Ryan Bay, who's granted better than most walk-on tight ends. I mean, he played a lot of snaps the last two seasons for Oregon. 
He's been the third tight end the last two years. Uh, Hunter Campmoyer is a junior that traditionally has just been asked to, to serve as kind of like a blocking tight end in, in special teams units. And then after that, you got two freshmen, redshirt freshman Spencer Webb, who we did, we should say, did catch a, a, a clutch situation touchdown uh, against the second team defense, I believe it was, where that ended a drill and, and that group won. Um, so he has had some moments, it sounds like, in camp. But, again, no experience. And then your tight end behind him is Patrick Kirpin, a true freshman. So, yeah, there's a lot of – that position might be the one on the offensive side of the football. I think you eliminate receiver. Yeah, that's the one that needs the most But because um, there's so many positions that are fluid and, and there's more receivers that play than tight ends. But the tight end one is just completely – I, I don't know what to say. If 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 this guy's in the lead or if this guy's got that position locked down or is he going to be healthy? Like, there's just a lot of fluid situations that, right now with tight end. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's probably a position group where you're you're going to have a, I don't want to say less confidence because that's unfair because Breland has proven to be a very capable tight end, but you're gonna, you're, you're not necessarily going to know exactly what you have uh, unless these guys get healthy, you know, really quickly just because. If Breland does miss time and McCormick misses basically all the fall camp and maybe he gets healthy right before the opener and maybe Breland doesn't play in that opening game and now you've got McCormick out there who didn't really take part in much of fall camp and a bunch of guys who haven't been, you know, thrust into these situations. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously you want everybody to be healthy and, and you're, you're hoping for a, a quick recovery for both those guys. Eric and I, uh, will have coverage throughout the weekend on duckterritory.com giving you uh, ready for Oregon versus Auburn on the 31st of, of August. We'll both be there to cover that game. Lots and lots of stuff on DuckTerritory.com. So I highly encourage you guys, go check it out. A lot of free stuff, a ton of VIP stuff as well. Uh, $1 gets you in the door for a VIP membership uh, at DuckTerritory.com. So uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Until we do another podcast, we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.